0: Christmas morning a few years ago uh, just before Kath had finished the Christmas dinner at that crucial moment where everything was coming together and I was meant to get all the cutlery out and get everything ready I decided to grab a can of coke from the fridge uh, thinking that's the priority I need to make sure I have a can of coke uh, for the meal but as I took the can from the fridge I lost grasp of it uh, and it fell and it hit the corner of the oven and the corner of the oven pierced the can it fell onto the floor and it turned into a sprinkler of coke uh, and i was covering coke and the kitchen is covering coke two or three months later it was still a sprinkler so you could see see dots of coke everywhere and you can imagine cats gracious and kind response uh, on christmas morning to me having done that Imagine the pressure within that can of coke, you know, that's to be pierced uh, by that oven, and then it just went everywhere. The pressure build up within that can. I don't know if you've ever had a, a blister, a nasty blister, uh, and the build up of the pain as you feel that blister. Withholding the truth can feel a bit like that a can that's shaken and an increase of pressure or the blister growing and you feel that blister in psalm 32 king david says that he withheld the truth uh, that he was silent before god and for him it felt as if his bones were wasting away that it had a, a physical effect on him jesus says the truth sets us free now the gospel sets us free the truth of the gospel if you think of Martin Luther when he first became a monk in Erfurt, there he was not a Christian he did not understand the gospel of grace he began as a lecturer in Wittenberg and he says that he despised God back then he became to start to, to despise a God who he knew was holy but in his mind was not merciful he had absorbed the Catholic teaching that you must absolve for your own sin, that you must make atonement for your own sin. And so he began to despise a God like that. How can you be honest before a God if you think that every time you commit a sin, you have to make penance yourself. And so he hid from God and despised God. And then, of course, you came across a verse that we have here in Habakkuk chapter 2, which is also in Romans chapter 3, that the righteous shall live by faith. Understanding that we are set free not by our own works or our own efforts or by the depth of our own repentance or ability to show that uh, we have ability to make up or atonement for our sin. It's acknowledging Jesus has died for me. I am justified freely by the grace that is in God and through the blood of the Lord Jesus. It is by faith that we are declared righteous. And he understood this. And he said that it was as if uh, he saw paradise opening in front of him, that he had access to paradise. The truth of the gospel set him free. He despised a God who he thought was not merciful, And then he saw the grace and the mercy of God on the cross of Christ and understood that he's free. I don't have to earn my salvation. I trust in the Lord Jesus. He's done it all for me. So the gospel sets us free. But it's true in general, uh, in spiritual realm, in the spiritual life, that when we're honest before God, it sets us free. That often... A growth in our spiritual life, a development along the spiritual journey, begins with us being honest before God, acknowledging where we are, acknowledging what's in our heart. I would sometimes go to ministers' fraternals uh, with Mark there, and I'd be afraid of asking some questions because I thought, well, I might be considered foolish, you know, or what they what they think about me if I acknowledged weakness here and if we live like that we forsake so many lessons when we're not honest it's true in general when we're not honest in front of others when we're not honest before god we don't learn those vital life lessons we remain ignorant we grow in our faith when we come before god with honesty and we acknowledge i don't understand this I am weak. Help me. I don't have the answers. Habakkuk was profoundly honest before God. The book of Habakkuk is unique amongst the minor prophets because it's not uh, a message that was given to the nations. Uh, It's not an oracle in that sense. It is a dialogue. It is a prayer between God and Habakkuk. Uh, And we see in it the godly character of Habakkuk. He was a man of prayer. This is the most obvious point, which we can sometimes forget. Habakkuk was a man of prayer. This is a book of his prayers, his discussions, his dialogue with God. He knew that he needed to turn to God and to come before God and that he could come before God honestly he understood the character of God we see this uh, throughout the book we've seen it already he understands the holiness of God he understands uh, the, the righteousness of God he grieves at the sight of sin and ungodliness he is a godly man who cannot tolerate sin he's a man of faith we'll see this also he learns to trust in God to wait upon the Lord So we see in this book two honest complaints, and that's what they are. Uh, They are, uh, we see this in chapter two, verse one. What will God say concerning my complaint? So he brings two complaints before the Lord, and then there is an honest prayer in chapter three. So the first honest complaint of Habakkuk is found in chapter one. And it's summarized in verse 2 of chapter 1. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear this honesty? He comes before God and he cries out, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Now, this is not an uncommon expression in the scriptures. Uh, Isaiah asked it. Zechariah did also. Jeremiah prayed this prayer twice and it appears seven times in the book of Psalms. Oh Lord, how long? Now what's unique about Habakkuk is that it's a complaint against God. It's not just a, well, how long will the suffering continue? How long will I not see your face? But there seems to be an accusation here, a charge that the Lord is not listening. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Now, he is not looking at the nations around uh, Israel here. He's not looking around the nations around Jerusalem and Judah. He is looking at the people of God. He's looking at Jerusalem itself. And he sees violence. He sees injustice. He sees wrongdoing, iniquity. He has to look at all of this iniquity, As he lives his life there in Jerusalem, all he sees around him is sin and injustice. How long will I have to see all of this? My eyes don't want to look at them anymore. How long will it continue? If you've read Jeremiah, it's the same context. Uh, This list at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, a list of sinful behavior, uh, how the leaders exploited uh, the people uh, how injustice is allowed to, to continue without any uh, sort of punishment. How people are allowed to behave without any consequence at all. And there is violence. And this is what Habakkuk cries out. How long will it continue? Lord, don't you hear people's prayers? Don't you hear my prayer? You do not listen. You do not save. Where is God? This is a question that non-Christians often ask, where is God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of all that is happening, where is God? How can God allow all of this to happen? Now, sometimes that is a bit of a red herring. Uh, It's an excuse. It's a way for them not to discuss a more personal challenge. Uh, You'll see this often with students. They might have heard of this argument. And so when it becomes personal, when there's a challenge for them, well, they'll deter that challenge by asking, well, what about the suffering? Now, we have to be serious in the way that we respond to those questions, but also be aware that sometimes it's a red herring to avoid a more personal challenge. But I think as Christians, we should ask those sorts of questions. How long? Why isn't God interfering? intervening? Why isn't God changing the situation? Is he not listening to his people? Why isn't he changing the situation here? Habakkuk is grieving at the sight of the sin within the people of God, within the nation, within the kingdom of God. I wonder whether we can sympathize with that. I wonder whether you're aware of it in your own heart. How long must I battle this besetting sin why can't i shake it off i keep on falling william williams pantacelen at a line in welsh cwip o ganwaith i bai, falling a hundred times the same offense you might feel that i can't move on i can't shake it off i keep on falling in this way or maybe you see sin in the christian world in general if you read evangelicals now too often it will make you extremely depressed as you read about scandal and death and decline and decay how long will this continue and this isn't just looking outside in general culture but looking at the church itself the wider church community you might have a child who's fallen by the wayside who's backslidden And you're asking well how long will they continue to live like this i've prayed for them for months for years why aren't they repenting why aren't they returning to the lord and you might see people who in the name of the lord jesus behave in despicable ways and you get frustrated and you become disheartened so the sin of your own heart the sin within the christian church the context of the Christian Church. It's 120 years since we saw a national revival. Errol Davis has written a helpful book called Breeze from Heaven, Blessings in Wales from the 1950s to the 1980s. And it's an encouraging read. It's good to be a reminder that the Lord did save many people in those decades. But it's a narrow book. <laughs> it's not a hefty volume. We are grateful for those blessings but it's 120 years since we saw a national revival really since we saw entire communities changed by the gospel over 100 years we've seen the major battles lost we've seen chapels close and so on and you ask the question well how long will this continue how long will the decline go on for so you can see the parallels and I'm sure you've asked us questions at some point. Maybe it's ill health, maybe it's emotional problems, trials of living in a fallen world. How long, O oh Lord? Are you not listening? Will you not hear? Will you not save? Will you not intervene to the situation? What's really important to notice here is that Habakkuk is never condemned, he's never criticised for his prayer let us be honest before god the lord knows what's on our hearts anyway we come before him he knows what's on our hearts he knows what we need we are told in philippians chapter 4 to make our requests known to god with thanksgiving but we are to make our requests known to him psalm 13 how long O lord will you forget me forever sometimes we can be afraid to acknowledge the reality of a situation i read some prayer letters sometimes and i'm aware of the situation and you read those prayer letters that's not the reality of your situation it's as if we're afraid to acknowledge difficulties or challenges sometimes we can exaggerate the good and we can ignore the challenges because within the christian evangelical world to be negative that's one of the biggest sins of all isn't it So let us be honest. There's a whole book called Lamentation. that the Bible expects that we will go through challenges like this. And so Habakkuk, I think, is an example for us. If there are times when you've heard those questions in your mind, how long? Why aren't you responding, God? Are you hearing? Then remember Habakkuk. And the answer comes uh, in verse 5. And it must have seemed thrilling to begin with. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. I'm doing a great work in your days that you will not believe if told. And you can imagine Habakkuk thinking, oh, there we are then. The Lord is going to intervene. The Lord is going to change the situation. I won't believe what will happen. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. I am raising up the Babylonians the great enemy after the Assyrians of course the Assyrians were taken over by the Babylonians and so they are now with a superpower in the area and so the answer seems to be I will raise up Vladimir Putin uh, as the answer to your prayers the answer to your prayers will be Nebuchadnezzar will be Babylon they will come and they will rise God knows the nation he describes them as bitter and hasty and they seize dwellings not their own they come with violence Uh, they scoff at leaders their might is their god they are self-righteous and idolatrous and so they come in that situation so it seems that the answer is that the lord will humble them even further and that how long, O oh Lord? Well, it seems that the answer will be, well, they will be more humbling before you see the end of violence. And actually, there will be the end of violence in Jerusalem for a while. That'll be because the Babylonians, the Chaldeans will have been raised up and they will take you into captivity. That the Lord will actually humble them before and we acknowledge that the Lord does that. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, we are aware of the discipline of the Lord. Sometimes we go through trials and we know that it is because of our own doing. Uh, Sometimes we know that it's because of our behavior and the Lord wants us to cry out to him. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline and then verse 11 for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it so the Lord is telling him well there will be more challenges but in doing that you will cry out to me in Try in doing that you will be purified in doing that you will be drawn back to me they'll be given a glimpse of what life is like without God they'll be given a glimpse of what life is like in a foreign land and so this leads to the second complaint the second complaint is in verses 12 and 13 are you not from everlasting o lord my god my holy one we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So the second complaint is why the Babylonians? <laughs> them. You've raised them. You've established them to rebuke us. You've ordained them as a judgment. The Babylonians, of all people, you are holy. You are from everlasting. You are pure. You do not see evil. You cannot look at wrong. So why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up? The man more righteous than he? I know we are sinful here in Judah, you're saying, but we're not as sinful as the Babylonians. How can you use them? How can you raise up them against us? I'm sure you can feel that pain i'm sure you can feel that sense of mystery the lord i don't understand this i understand that we need to be rebuked i understand that we need to be disciplined i understand that you want to work in our hearts and draw us back to yourself they might be aware of the history of the judges how the midianites how the philistines how these various nations were used to humble the people to call them back the Babylonians, I don't understand this. How can you use them for reproof? How can you ordain them as a judgment? And he lists their sinful behavior. He lists how merciless they are and how they kill the nations around them. I want you to notice the first response. The first answer to prayer is in verse 1 of chapter 2. So this complaint, why the Babylonians? And before he's given a theological response, he's given the ability to trust. I will take my stand at my watchpost, and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. That's the first answer to his prayer before he's given a theological answer which he will be given he's given the ability just to rest to trust I will go and I will make and take my stand at my watch post I will station myself in the tower and I will wait and I will look and I will see what answer the Lord will give me I was chatting with a man a few weeks ago um, who saw the church grow uh he is uh, uh, an evangelist uh, planting a church in a rural area he saw a church grow very very quickly to about 35 or 40 members very quickly uh and then he had a heart attack himself he had a cardiac arrest and then covid came uh and that group was scattered and he was forced to ask the question what are you doing oh lord why has this happened the church has grown so quickly these people have been drawn many of them are actually unbelievers some of them are new believers and now they are scattered and I've got a health to care for them and we can't meet together because of Covid what are you doing O Lord sometimes the Lord wants us just to stop and to trust I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower it's looking likely that some chapels in these areas will close and i was preaching in a chapel this afternoon with five people there uh, in a small community Uh, it's looking likely that my mum's chapel will probably close in a few months time Uh, and what we do when we come across these situations well sometimes we have to stop stand and look what is God doing, where is he working, what are his plans, and trust in him, wait upon him and the strength will rise within us. Sometimes we want the answer straight away, sometimes we want a theological solution immediately, sometimes we want a formula, we want a project, we want a mission, we want an answer straight away so that we can solve it, especially as men, I think, as pastors, let's bring an end to the situation. Sometimes I think the Lord calls us just to stop, to look to Him, to station ourselves on the tower, on observe, continue to pray and to look to Him. And then, of course, the answer is given don't worry about the Chaldeans, they will be punished themselves. Uh, they are a wicked people and woe to them. And the list in chapter 2 is that how they treated others, they then will be treated in return. But I think there's one other thing that we should highlight here from the perspective of the New Testament and also from the, Testament of the, of the Old Testament as well. What we have here is the Lord using wicked people for his own means and for good intentions. And you remember in Genesis 50 where the Lord says that the, those people, the brothers of Joseph desired evil and they had evil intentions but the Lord intended it for good. And we see in Habakkuk that there are evil people, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and they have wicked intentions. They have evil intentions. But they're in the hands of almighty, compassionate, gracious God. And those evil intentions are used by the Lord for good, for our good, for the good of God's people for the good of the church, for the glory of God. And there are some times when we won't see that. There are some times when we won't understand that. But we believe in the depth of our hearts and we believe it fully and truly that when there is wickedness around us, they are never outside of God's sovereignty. God's providence is greater than the wickedness of man. And we see the wickedness of Putin we see the evil of Islam in the Middle East. We see the idolatry of the Western world and the evil that is uh, promoted. And we remember these people might desire it for God, for wickedness and evil against God, but God desires it for good. He's always good. He's always faithful. Would we remember that? When you're tempted to think that all is against us, when you're tempted to think that uh, we're in some sort of decline or decay and that everything seems to be going wrong. I want you to remember that there is a Lord who's on the throne, even the Babylonians were in his hands, even the Chaldeans were in his hands and all things work together for good. So those are the two complaints. And then we come to an honest prayer at the end, and I want to just finish with this really. I'm going to skip over the most famous verse of all, uh, which is so often used in prayers. Verse two, in the midst of the years, revive it, in the midst of the years, make it known, in wrath, remember mercy. I'll skip over that because I want to highlight verses 17 to 19 right at the end. Remember where the book started. How long, O oh Lord? Will you not save the violence? And then look where the Lord brings him at the end of the book. Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my my high places. At the beginning, he's asking, why is there so much violence? What are you doing, O Lord? And then he's given that response. The Babylonians will be raised up and you will be humbled. And he comes to the point at the end of the book where he says, I will take delight in you. I will rejoice in you. Even if the fruit of the vine shall not appear, if the fig tree should not blossom, I will still rejoice. Even if things get even harder, even if things get even more difficult, even more challenging, yet I will still continue to rejoice in you. Sometimes, as Christians, we want to encourage people and say things will be fine. But there are some situations where you can't guarantee that. There are some occasions where things will not get better. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. Though the fig tree shall not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the vowlife fail, yet. I will rejoice in the lord isn't that a profound place to be taken by the lord where you can acknowledge even if the fig tree should not blossom i will still rejoice and i think it's only the christian gospel it's only the holy spirit it's only the truth of the gospel that can give us that sense of contentment and our feet will be like the deer's. we had some american friends visiting a couple of weeks ago uh, and we went to north wales and they were astounded, of course, by the sheep. <laughs> look at all the sheep. And they expected me to be an expert on all the sheep, you know, that I would understand how they're able to balance and, and that they're there on the precipice and they don't fall over. Is it something to do with the wool? I don't know. The strength of their legs was a conclusion we came to. And you look at this. He will give us feet like the deers. There are times when you feel as if you're on a cliff edge. You're on a precipice. You could easily fall off. And you can sometimes feel that. How long will I continue to go along this cliff edge? Remember, the Lord will give us strength. Through the truths of God's Word, through the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, through fellowship and friendship, through all sorts of different means and ways, He'll give us strength to endure. And so the answer in this book yeah there are theological answers but also they have the answer of trust in me which perhaps is the greatest theological lesson of all wait go and stand at the tower and look and observe what the lord is doing and even if things get more difficult even if there is no fruit even if things get more challenging by the grace of god you can rejoice Remember that He is the One who is great. He is your Lord. He is your God. He is your strength. And the Lord will move in mysterious ways, but we know that He's always good. He's always faithful. And so, when we cry out, "How long, O Lord?" Don't condemn yourself, but keep looking to the Lord, whom you can trust 100%. The enemies are in His hands. The times are in His hands. I know that all things work together for the good of those who love him.